This morning we meet a man whose son was very ill. A man who, because of the awareness of his own son's mortality, brought him to the Son of Man, Jesus. A man was a respected man. He was a fearful man, an anxious man, with the reality of their own mortality. But God used the hardship to bring him to the king, to bring him to Jesus, to travel miles and miles to have an encounter with God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. What a prayer for a season like this. We know that God is good and He's faithful, and He can use every circumstance, and He does use every circumstance for His glory and His good. So this morning, we get to see this man in John chapter 4, the text that Stephen just read for us a moment ago. And as we follow along, we're going to note how Jesus uses signs. Those signs, as we note in the text, are going to accomplish three particular purposes. But just as Jesus interacted with this official from Capernaum, that man was challenged with the lordship of Jesus, to believe in him, to surrender his life to him, challenged the man's own lordship and rule. And that's what we see today in application 2,000 years later. Who Jesus is, if we understand who Jesus is, it challenges our rule over our life. So we pray this morning at the very beginning before breaking into this text and noting these components of how the Lord used signs. God, would you shape us? Would you challenge our self-lordship and make us a person and a people that are even more dependent upon you, upon your grace and striving after your glory to be and make disciples. So let's note first that Jesus performed great signs. Great signs. Verse 43 through 50. And we note the first of those signs is that his signs compelled the sick to follow. The signs that Jesus did, they compelled the sick to follow. Now this is Jesus' second time in Cana. Do you remember the last time we spoke about this? When Jesus turned water to wine in this area at the wedding feast. What an incredible scene. Well, buzz has certainly spread across the land. And Jesus has returned. He's come back. It's the sequel. It's the return of the king part two. You have no idea how painful it is to give dad jokes in an empty sanctuary. All right, it hurts. It hurts me in a deep place. So I'm going to imagine at that joke, you are laughing hysterically. You're in tears right now uh, as you respond to that. But I can't wait to gather again. Did I say that already? But here's what's happened. The news has spread of who Jesus is and what he does. And he is a man that has power over the elements of the world. He is the man that has power over time. He is a man who does incredible signs. And the word has spread and Jesus has now come back around again to Cana. And the word has spread and the sick people have gathered. And one of those sick people is referred to as a, as a nobleman, an official Matter of fact, in the area from which he came, Capernaum, and I know what you're wondering right now, Brent, how far is Capernaum from Cana? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's 18 miles. 18 miles. They didn't drive there. He would have had to travel by foot or by animal, but he had to drop whatever he was doing and follow to see Jesus. He was a desperate man. Respected, noble people, people that would have been well off and respected. How unusual that they would drop everything to go at a chance of hope. 
And that's what he did. You know what? That's the same component in our lives. You say, what would make a man do something like that? Well, his son was ill. Ill to the point of death. He was desperate. He heard the words of Jesus that he was coming back around and it was worth his dropping everything he was doing and going to see Jesus. Jesus used signs to bring people to follow after him. Even sickness, even the sting of death that we see that impacts the earth. Our king performed great signs and it compelled others who occupied power to gather at his feet. Now what compels you this morning to watch this? I'm curious. What compels you to take the time to watch this? Now, I know this video posts at 9. You can watch it at any time. But what's compelling you to take a time to sit and to listen, to sit under the Word of God? Well, for most of us who know Jesus, we are a people called for His glory to know Him and to abide in Him. And so we sit under His Word to know Him and to listen to Him and ask His Spirit to lead us and to guide us and convict us. One of the great comforts we have from a text like this this morning is that we're reminded that God even uses sickness to bring people to come to Him. I don't know if this man ran there or if he walked there, but he got there. What a component for us in this season of ministry to prioritize Jesus. Above everything that's shifting in our culture to prioritize Jesus, to want to know Him and to make Him known, to want to encourage each other and to serve others, to pray for others, to pray that they would come to know Jesus. So Jesus uses signs to bring people to Himself, signs that deal with sickness. Secondly, His signs, what did they do? They cured symptoms of the fall. Did you see that? Look back at verse 47. It says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now the father seems to know little about Jesus, but he knows that Jesus has worked signs, and that's good enough for him. That's good enough for him to make this long trip. What has death made you do in your life? What has a fear of death done in your life? We look around and we can easily say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Internally, in our own hearts, we experience sickness and we experience heartache and anxieties and the fears of life when we're not able to control our own domain. And we realize things are not the way that they ought to be. And even in seasons when everything's going well and we have everything in order, we set all of our days out and everything goes according to plan, even at the end of the day, there's an understanding that we're not made to rule our life. You see, death is a reminder that we're not made for this. We're made for life. We're made to have relationship the God who made us for His glory, to know Him and to rejoice in Him and to walk through life and steward creation for His glory. So this is a reminder, and we see in the signs that He does, that they cured the symptoms of the fall. Now death, spiritual death. We know about physical death, but spiritual death. Think about what the man had done. Now he went to the right person. He went to Jesus, but he came to Jesus demanding Jesus would you 
Stop what you're doing and follow after me. I stopped what I was doing and followed after you to ask you to come and heal my son. I believe you can heal him. I've heard about this. I have hope in you, Jesus. He went to the right person, but he has a small understanding of who Jesus is. See, Jesus, all things were created through him and for him. And are maintained through him. He sustains all things. And so he goes to Jesus, but his theology of Jesus is not in line. That itself, my friends, the beloved, is evidence of the fall. That we have a small view, I have a small view so often of God, and those who don't yet know Christ have a small view of God, or a cynical view of God. They don't know Him. They don't know the love of God in Christ, how much God loves them. And so the man comes to Jesus and tells Jesus, hey, you've got to stop what you're doing and follow after me. He goes to Jesus, the one that created him, that knit him together in his mother's womb, and says, you've got to stop what you're doing and come and fit the methods that I have for how I think my son needs to be healed. You've got to be there. I believe you can do the miracle, but Jesus, you've got to be there to do it. If only he realized who he was talking to. You know, God has a way of changing our methods. He has a way of changing our view and our dreams for our life. And in doing so, he says no to the methods, but he says yes to what is actually ultimately good to shape us for his glory. You know, I'd imagine that some of you that may be watching this, you may never have attended Grace Bible Church. Some of you may be distant from God. And in God's providence, here you are desiring to sit under His Word, curious about what does God's Word say about seasons like this. Well, we're just walking through the Word of God and in His providence. Might you be like this man that's come to Jesus? Yes, his theology of God was quite small, but he came to the right person. So we rejoice in times like this. That even though he says no to our methods or our desired dreams for how things ought to be, he says yes to shape us and use them for his good and his glory, even through the pain of this world. The fall has infected the world, but Jesus is the right one to always look to and pursue. We note third in how Jesus uses signs. His signs challenge the object of one's faith. Did you see that? Did you see what he did? Verse 48 and 50. Look at this. I'll read it again for you. He says, So Jesus said to him, Unless you, that's in the plural, it's East Texan, y'all, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So the one who sparks the conversation is the nobleman, the official. This official, by the way, would have likely, from where he was at, would have been in Herod's domain. The same Herod that will kill John the Baptist. Well, this man comes to him, and Jesus doesn't only address him. He addresses him, but he addresses the crowds that came to watch the signs. And he says, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. What do you think was going through this man's mind? 
all that he had left. Though a man probably used to getting his way and having a sense of authority about him, comes to the ultimate authority, Jesus. And Jesus tells him, no. No. I'm not going with you. But, go. Go. Your son will live. All the man had in his hands to take back with Jesus were the words of Jesus. The good news for us, church, is that the word of the Lord is enough. The spirit he breathes into our lives, he gives us life and wisdom and direction, and he speaks to us through the God-breathed word. We build our lives upon his word. We live not by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's hope. As the man walked back, all that he had to walk back every step of those 18 miles was Jesus' word to stand on. What news is this? One of the wisest decisions we can make on a daily basis is to aim to live our life according to the word of God, to trust His word, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a shifting word, He is unshifting. How sweet is His Word. How sweet are His people. Being molded, made new, receiving newness of life in Christ by faith. The same authority, the same King, brothers and sisters, brought to newness of life. The man challenges the object of the crowd's faith. And the man is left with nothing to trust in but faith in the word of Jesus. And friends, that is enough. Even if you have but a fingertip holding on by your nails, it's who you're trusting. Not always how much grip you have, but who are you trusting? A lot of faith in a tiny sheet of ice will not do you any well walking across a lake. But a little bit of faith in the perfect rock will stand you strong through all the storms of life. Build your life upon the Word. Build your life upon Jesus. Know Him. That's the gift that we have in the Lord. So we note, secondly, that the signs performed by Jesus, what do they do ultimately? They validate, they confirm, they validate His identity as the sent one of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one all the Scriptures foretold of. They validate His identity. Who do you believe Jesus is? And to that, all the church family cries out, Amen, thank you, Lord. We know who you are. We trust in you. But to those of you that may not know Jesus, you're curious. Well, listen. It says in verse 51, as we note these two components, that Jesus is trustworthy and He's worthy to be your King. He's worthy to be your King and He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Look at 51 and 52. It says, as he was going down. So the man is left and he's going down. Remember, elevation-wise, Jerusalem was up higher. And so as the man is going down, he's descending. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, hey, what was the hour? What was the time when he began to get better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, which is your bottom of your Bible, the bottom of your print Bible probably says is around 7 p.m. 
because the counting started at sunrise at 6 a.m. And they said the fever left him at that time. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. His word is trustworthy. The man, when he comes back, the servant meets him at some point. I wonder how fast the man walked back down to his hometown to see his son. Do you think he ran back to get there as quickly as possible? Or do you think he walked slowly, fearful, thinking every step that I take, I might be taking one step closer to seeing my deceased son if Jesus' words weren't trustworthy? Well, the servant then who had heard had begun running to go and to meet him. And so they meet at that time, and he's overwhelmed with joy. But the first thing that he wants to know, and I think this is so incredible, the first thing that he wants to know is not to run back right away. He hears the word of his servant. What does he do? Hey, what time? What time did that happen? He had a little bit of faith in Jesus' word. It's all he had to stand on. But when it's confirmed that it happens exactly as Jesus says, what does he do? Oh, he believes on Jesus, he and his old household. We see this in the book of Acts, this language of the authority. The head of the home comes to believe in Jesus. And then all those under him, seeing his belief, seeing the head's belief, they're moved to belief as well. And they believe and in Acts, they believe. And then after believing, they are baptized. But the man believes his he places his trust in Jesus. Jesus is truly trustworthy. Difficult times have a way of stripping back and exposing who or what we're trusting in, don't they? That's what they did for this man. And as the sickness of his son stripped back, he was left vulnerable to go to the only one that offered him hope, and that was Jesus. But upon going to Jesus, he realized how trustworthy Jesus truly was. Jesus wasn't simply trustworthy to heal his son, to get him through a difficult season. Jesus was worthy to be his king. Jesus was worthy to lead the rest of his life in sickness and in health, for better or worse, richer or poorer, till death does he gain being in the physical presence of Jesus, who would go on after this interaction as the story goes on to be crucified, the righteous one, the holy one, the one in whom no sin was found, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He would lay his life down on the cross, perfectly fulfilling the way of the Father and the will of the Father. He would defeat death be buried on the third day, raised again, ministering and teaching, and then the 40th day would ascend into heaven, the right hand of the Father. And He will come again someday soon. This man, understanding that the word of Jesus, and therein Jesus, is worthy to lead His life. He surrenders all that He is to build His life upon Christ. Not Caesar, not his own power, but Jesus, 
Jesus is trustworthy for your life in every season. I imagine this man later on, you know, one of the joys that we have as a church family is our church is made up of hundreds of people from different stories that have a testimony. Your testimony is your life before you met Jesus. When you came to understand the gospel, that news, that good news of God, man, Christ in response. When they came to understand the gospel and believe on Jesus, declare publicly their allegiance to Him, abiding in Him, asking forgiveness and becoming adopted by faith in Jesus. And they're in their life since that point, how the Lord has been shaping them. One of the ways in which I have been so encouraged, so encouraged. And if you're not connected, get more connected. Dig in and listen to how the Lord has worked in people's lives. And I was talking to one brother not long ago, just a couple weeks ago, who had gone through a terrible accident as a young man. And yet it was in that accident and the time after that he came to understand who Jesus was. He came to believe in Jesus. And he said something incredible now as an adult. He said, you know what? I wouldn't change it because God used that to bring me to himself. I probably wouldn't know him if that didn't happen to me. I was too proud. I was doing my own life until that happened. This man went through an unbelievable story, but the story led him to a trustworthy Savior. That's Jesus. That's good news. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy to be your king. Look at 53 and 54. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. And this was now the second sign that, that Jesus did. Now, if you compare that to chapter 2, verse 11, the first time he was in Cana, we note a couple key observations. So, matter of fact, look back in your Bibles at chapter 2, verse 11. And as you do so, I'll give you some sequences that I don't think we want to miss. You see, Jesus did those works and many came to believe. He didn't come simply to do and show the incredibleness of His sign, but they at the wedding, many believed. But now likewise, after His second miracle had taken place, the father of the boy believes and so do his household. Two sets of people, same place, but two sets of people, both seeing and understanding who Jesus is and knowing He's worthy. He's worthy. The second observation, very simply, is that Jesus is sovereign now, we've seen, over time. He's sovereign over the elements. He's sovereign over sickness. He truly is worthy of our lives. He's God above all things. He's God in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases, and we can know Him, and He longs to know you. That's why Jesus has come. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And our next steps, three next steps that you'll see below. Next step number one, this man's crisis actually brought him to know Christ. How might that inform? How might this change how we're viewing this unique season of our history? How might knowing that God can use the difficulties of life under the fall life impacted by sin and death, how might knowing that God can use that to bring people to Himself inform how we even process as Christians seasons like this? 
And second, it's a question for you, am I connected to a group at Grace? Am I connected to a group at Grace? The Bobby's going to tell us more about how to do so, but in times like these, it has been so encouraging to hear how people have been loving one another, reaching out to one another, discovering needs with one another, calling each other and praying together. This is when the church shines. This is when the church shines. But if you're one of those that are not connected, if you're not connected to a group or you're not connected to any group in our body, we want you to take next steps to get connected at this time more now perhaps than ever. So ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to get connected? And reach out to us so we can help you take a next step to get connected to brothers and sisters in Christ as we aim to grow together to know Him, to glorify Him, and to trust in Him because He's worthy of our life at this time. The third question is this, third next step. How might this passage inform how we pray, both for our church family and for those that don't know Christ? How might this passage inform how we pray? We're praying people. Take time this week to call someone and pray with them on the phone. To share anxieties, to share joys, to share the happy moments, the bored moments. Take time to become a person of prayer. More this week perhaps than ever. Our God is good and let's pray together right now. Well, God, we rejoice that You are in the heavens. We rejoice that You reign over all. We thank You that You've given us Your Word, Your timeless and timeless and errant Word, that You would give us a passage such as this as we walk through the Gospel of John. We want to be a people who abide in You and who rest in You, but God, I confess that there are anxieties in my heart. Father, a continual revelation that I am not God. That I am to be wholly dependent upon You. So God, we ask as a church family, would You help us to grow in our faith in this season? Help us to love one another. To abide by various principles our authorities have put in place as a way to love one another and serve one another. Father, help us to be joyful and rejoice that You are good. Help us to rejoice and to be content at seasons when You tell us that our ways, when You listen to our ways and our recommendations, and You say no. But God, we know Your way is better. We know You use all things to accomplish the counsel of Your will to shape us in more and more to the image of Christ. And in that we rejoice. Help us, Lord, to be a looking, laboring, and by Your grace, a harvesting people. Oh, Lord, though we're absent from body for one another, we are present in spirit with each other and with You. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen.